Ladies and gentlemen, you have been very kind to hear me prattle on now for as long as my mouth has been running. We are almost up on two hours. You are some very patient people. I am going to stop talking and answer any questions. You had your hand up first, ma'am. Thank you for letting me yell at you earlier today. Oh, no, you're fine. And, and like I said, I drove like almost an hour and a half to be here. So oh, thank you. When I got on, I was not bored. I just needed to stretch. It looked like you're trying to stretch. You're very flattering. Thank you. But anyway, um, actually, I thought of a lot of questions. But one I will um, ask is we have been sending these messages to our state legislator to end Governor Holcomb's emergency and also to pass a bill to uh, ban any kind of vaccine passport or forced by the employer and it falls on deaf ears other than to um, representatives Kurt Nicely and John Jacob and everybody else ignores us. So with, with that fear, in fact, I even called today. I mean, I'm, you know, uh, Robert Gray and um, yeah, so I've been doing all that. And I've even called Todd Rakita today because there's other states who are there, but yes. So my question is, if we did the Convention of States, how do you know that the states would actually send anybody with any better ethics than what's up there, where we didn't get ourselves in a real mess? And two, would you consider, I know you said, because I was also at the um, Capitol when you spoke up there, would you, is, is Pence your congressman here? Uh, my federal congressman, yes. Would you consider trying to run against him or even on a small <laughs> um, So the reason I won't run for federal Congress is because I believe it's useless. I have no faith whatsoever that the federal government is going to solve this mess. After all, it's already willing to let people die by denying them ivermectin. Right. And I got to tell you, when you, yeah. you know, ladies and gentlemen, when you've gassed a million Jews, the next six go easy. Um, and if you're already willing to kill people and deny them care for a disease, I see no hope coming out of our federal government whatsoever. Um, if the federal government reforms itself, it's going to be because somebody walks through Washington, D.C. with a machine gun, and I really don't want that to happen. Um, so this is not going to be won there. Let me tell you how you can win it at the state level and the, the words that I think will have an effect at the state level, and that is primary challenge. All right? So every single member of the House of Representatives is going to be having a primary, can be primary challenge this spring, all right? Uh, there is a group called Liberty Defense. I don't have their website, but if you just Google Liberty Defense, their group here in Indiana, which is actually getting people together, training them how to run in the primary. So there have actually been six co-sponsors of Senator, uh, Representatives Nisley Bill to end the state of emergency. Luckily, my representative is one of them, and if he keeps behaving this way, I am not gonna primary him in the spring, all right? If that should change, I will primary him in the spring. Luckily, I think he's going to be a guy who delivers on this. But, ladies and gentlemen, if your guy is not one of the six people who has co-sponsored uh, uh, Representative Nisley Bill, that's uh, con House uh, Concurrent Resolution 48 to end the state of emergency, then I would recommend you contact Liberty Defense and somebody here say, I am willing to run against my representative because he didn't support that. And if you have friends in every other representative district in the state of Indiana, call them up and say, call Liberty Defense and we will go primary them. And you can get on the email lists of things like Stand for Health Freedom, all right? Hoosiers for Medical Liberty. Um, we had a bunch of donations get sent to me that have been, we have used to make a nonprofit called Cyril and Dorothea's Foundation for Medical Freedom. And these are all things that have email lists where we can come out and say, hey, so-and-so was a person who did not support this or that resolution. 
We can't tell you to vote for them or not vote for them. We can only say, here are the lists of the people who supported this legislation. Here are the people who are not. And then, hopefully, you can decide whether or not you're going to primary the people who are there. And I can tell you that when primary challenges occur, people like Kurt Nisley, people like John Jacobs, people like Chris Jeter, people like Jim Lucas get elected. All right? And I would encourage everybody in the world, when they come out and say, oh, but the guy who's in there has got so much governmental experience. All right? Ladies and gentlemen, I have a lot of letters behind my name. The ones that I am most proud of is the one called Citizen, because that's the one that gives me permission to participate in my government. And I don't know any of those other letters matter. And if your representative and your senator is not, not taking care of you and doing what you want, then I recommend that you actually sign up with Liberty Defense and run against them in the primary. And you know what? Email lists start coming around and saying, so-and-so didn't vote, so-and-so didn't step up, all right? And it's not enough to say, well, I'm afraid, I sit back. It's like, no, your job is not to be afraid. Your job is to figure out what all of us around here want and how badly we want it and go out and take care of that, all right? Sitting around waiting for the lobbyists to give you permission or waiting for the Speaker Houston or uh, President Pro Tem Bray to say it's okay to sign up with this, that don't cut it. You don't work for Bray, you don't work for Houston, you work for me, all right? And I'll replace you if you're not good enough. And, and I can tell you, if my senator doesn't behave when he runs in 2024, I'm going to run against him in the primary. I've already made that commitment. Um, my hope is that I'm not going to have to do that. I really love being a family doctor much more than a politician. But I would encourage everybody else in this audience, if you have a different senator or if you want to run against my senator in the spring, <laughs> I'll happily let you. Um, but that you stand up in your individual districts, senatorial and representative districts, and say, hey, look, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring if you don't behave. Tell them that now, because the legislative session has not ended, all right? But let's say we get through this and they say, no, we're just going to let IU Health vaccinate the stink out of people, run out of nurses, and having to close hospital and locations of care so that we can get everybody vaccinated. And by the way, don't hate them for that. I can tell you the federal government's going to try and bankrupt them if they don't get a certain percentage of their, of their employees and their patients vaccinated. They already do it for influenza and the other vaccines. They already do it for everything else they want to do. Um, they'll just cut your reimbursement. So understand that they've got that gun to their head. And one of the laws we need, by the way, is to get some funding from the state and give to those places to make up for the money that the people in the federal government are going to take from them. But these are the kind of laws, and by the way, very shortly on Cyril and Dorothea's Foundation for Medical Freedom, um, Probably by the end of the weekend, we are going to be posting some proposed legislation that I recommend um, to make medical freedom occur. Things that were like saying that the Indiana Department of Health loses the ability to rule by fiat. Um, as a matter of fact, so does your local county health commissioner. That if they want to, when the, when the legislative body for that group is in session, they have to go get permission for anything they want. That means they have to have a hearing. That means that you get to come and say, I don't think we should wear masks and all this. And by the way, who is the boss in the doctor-patient relationship? Is it the doctor? No, that's right. It should never be the doctor. Um, we are the hired help. We are only the hired help. All right, we're allowed to give you advice. You are not obligated to ever take our advice and you aren't stupid because you don't take it. All right, we are the, we are the servants in this. Uh, we want it so the Indiana Department of Health, no matter how expert they are, can simply not come out and force their opinions upon you, all right? Would you like it if I came to you and said, sir, you're gonna take 80 milligrams of atorvastatin today. Should I have the ability to say that to you and force that to you and fine you if you don't and cost you your job if you don't? This is insanity. Um, 
that legislation is going to be up there so that you can start going to your representatives and saying, this is what it's going to take. If you agree with me and the other people who've helped me draft this legislation, um, if you agree with this, then you can come out and tell your senator and your representative, this is what it's going to take to keep me from running against you in the primary. And ladies and gentlemen, at this level, elections are not so expensive. Email communication is very, very effective. Word of mouth works down here, and you can beat them. And I'm going to give one other thing to answer your question with is, what's your alternative? I'm going to that. I've already been in contact with you. Thank you, ma'am. Ladies and gentlemen, I want people to understand that if we don't win this at elections at the state level, all right, I have no idea how we pull this off. How are elections working for you at the federal level? Uh, all right. Does your president make any sense to you right now? I couldn't smoke enough peyote to make Joe Biden make sense to me right now. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I'm already being expert witness in five different cases. What's one more? All right. You know, guys, um, I'll tell you a little bit of my motivation here, guys. Um, my dad flew 35 missions over Nazi Germany. He saw a lot of his friends die. On his 26th mission, he got to watch his best friend's head get blown off in the nose of his bomber. Five days later, he had to get back in and fly another mission. And then he came home and found my very, very brave mother who held him while he cried out all the horrors that he went through. And not just the horrors of watching his best friend's head get blown off, he knew he was blowing up people in Germany down below there. But he got through that with my very brave mother and they became very, very wonderful parents and were very, very happy people. And frankly, there is no way that I am gonna ignore their memories and I hope you think about what it would be like if you had to get back into a bomber five days after you watched your best friend's head got blown off on the nose of your bomber. What's worth that to you? You know, ladies and gentlemen, I am not gonna live in communist China. I'm not gonna live in Nazi Germany, all right? Um, I'll go down in a hail of bullets first, and if you have those same values, I hope you'll do the same. Yes, sir. The relationship between the FDA and the NIH? FDA and the NIH. Yeah. I don't know. The question is, what's the employment status of Dr. Fauci's wife? And I don't know where she's employed at. Um, the National Institutes of Health and a division of the NIH is the Center for Disease Control. It is the part of the federal government that gets, makes all the decision of what good health is. Um, and makes recommendations, and your Congress so unwisely also gave them the power to declare health emergencies and do things like mandate masks on public transportation and ban cruise ships from sailing and things like that. Um, the only thing they can't do in health is they can't approve products for sale. That's the purview of the Food and Drug Administration. But the Food and Drug Administration, while it has its own individual advisors, is supposed to work independently from, but in conjunction with, the CDC. Uh, the two people who resigned from the FDA resigned saying that the CDC had been way too influential. So the CDC can come up with recommendations of who should take a vaccine. The FDA has to approve the vaccine for sale and marketing in the United States, uh, but doesn't have, to, doesn't have to approve a vaccine just because the CDC recommends that it do so, or that the vaccine be used in those people. Um, so that's their different governmental functions, all right? Um, have I answered your question? Yeah. 
Okay. Yes, sir. No, I, no, there's no magnet in the COVID shot. Um, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think the dangerous thing in these vaccines is graphene oxide. I think the dangerous thing in these vaccines is the like mRNA and DNA, all right? Um, so we don't actually know what the numbers are. And the reason we don't know what the numbers are is because the federal government is paying to pervert the numbers, all right? So I got to tell you, if anybody says these are the numbers the CDC says, is look, you might as well roll dice, all right? I have more faith in random luck than I do in the conscious distortion that is coming from the CDC and the FDA. You know, in Israel, they are keeping the data the right way. They aren't perverting it. They're actually breaking it down, not just by vaccinated and unvaccinated. They have vaccinated, partially vaccinated. They have down vaccinated within 21 days, with a partially vaccinated within 21 days, partially vaccinated more than 21 days, all right? We have people who, and we also know whether they're recovered or not recovered, vaccinated, partially vaccinated, unvaccinated, partially vaccinated. They're keeping the data the right way on the CDC in Great Britain and Israel, all right? Um, what they're keeping in the FDA, and the C, or excuse me, what the CDC is collecting is called fact soup. If I don't like it, I spit it out, and I don't put anything in here unless I like the way it tastes. All right, this is not science. So if you've got 400 people who's taking 200 taking COVID shot, and you of 200 getting, what's the risk of the other 200 and everyone come in the hospital? So I can tell you, I know people who work in the hospital who say that, look, there's active suppression from the hospital administrators not to diagnose people who come in who've been vaccinated, not to test them. All right. This is a recommendation from the CDC that they not be tested. All right. They don't want their antibody test levels tested because then you'd actually see that their levels are actually much, much higher than people who are naturally recovered. And if you happen to know that antibodies being really, really high probably predicts a bad thing, not a good thing. Um, that data would be available. The best I can tell you about what's happening in the United States hospitals right now is the only thing I can tell you about it is it's not trustworthy. Yeah. And that's the major thing I'll say is it just can't be trusted. Well, I think he's going to do better for you than Fauci is. Oh, good, sir. So the questions are, first of all, um, does this stuff get put into your DNA and get passed down in, in generations? We have that data now. We have found the mRNA being translated into DNA and inserted into 20 out of the 23 human chromosomes. Um, now, I want to be completely upfront about that. We do not know of that, how, if that's ever going to be reproduced. Because just because it's in your DNA doesn't mean it's going to be retranscribed in mRNA and make another protein in the future. The answer is we don't know because nobody did any good studies on these vaccines. All right. Um, there is, by the way, one other problem that you have here, and that when you do an mRNA vaccine and you start putting that stuff into this cell here, that cell doesn't actually get infected, does it? So it doesn't give all the signaling to tell everybody what to do, and you can get the immune system to go off and do screwy things, like attack uh, the cells that are actually there. 
After all, the immune system's waiting to be told, are you a virus, are you a parasite, are you an intracellular bacteria, an extracellular bacteria? I need to know what I'm supposed to do. And when it doesn't give me this information, it may say, well, I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to destroy you. Uh, you're a neuron, I'll just kill you, all right? I can tell you, my prediction is, and again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not 100% certain of this, um, that as the 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels start to fly, go down this fall, uh, and the population becomes more sensitive, uh, to viral infection and doesn't fight it as well, as we start to see the failure more and more of the innate immune system to get this thing early on and stop it, we are going to see more and more of this enormous antibody response augmenting Delta variant, and God knows maybe we'll have worse variants come out by then, and we are going to probably see a holocaust of people who have low vitamin D levels who have been vaccinated. That's my prediction. I pray to God I'm wrong. I wish we had a long-term study that could say I'm wrong. All of the data that I see tells me that uh, antibody-dependent enhancement is developing. All of the data I see tells me this thing is causing an enormous rate of autoimmune diseases and that it's causing an enormous rate of inflammatory diseases. And I would expect all of those things to get worse as the 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels drop this fall. And that's my prediction. Right behind this gentleman here, she's had her hand up for a while, sir, and then I'll come back. I'm sorry, ma'am, can't hear you? Antibodies? Oh, is monoclonal antibodies. Is that an effective antibodies. treatment? Yeah, does monoclonal antibody treatment? Uh, what this monoclonal antibody is, is an antibody that's not developed from humans. We just made it up in a laboratory, but we think it binds to COVID-19. They have been studied. Um, apparently in use, if you use them early on in disease, like Governor DeSantis has decided to do, uh, they work fairly well at preventing progression. 70% reductions is what I'm seeing. Now, again, these things are thousands of dollars a dose. And to my knowledge, they have not been studied in Delta variant. Now, why does that matter? Because if these antibodies are able to enhance the variant just like your human antibodies can, you could actually give somebody monoclonal antibodies and make them worse. And I'm worried about that because I've had two patients that I had on ivermectin who were getting better, went to the hospital, um, were offered and got monoclonal antibodies and started to get worse again. Now, that's not high science. That doesn't prove that monoclonal antibodies will kill you, all right? Um, I definitely don't think they work as well as ivermectin in my case studies of two people, all right? Looking at the data that we've got from ivermectin, it looks like ivermectin works better. Um, you can't augment uh, ivermectin, or you can't uh, enhance iver with ivermectin. So, and it's not god-awfully expensive. Even when I, I have it compounded up at my local compounding pharmacy now, and it doesn't cost as much as a shot of monoclonal antibodies. That said, if somebody says, Doc, I can't get my hands on a doctor like you who has some idea what to do this acting early on, and all I can get is monoclonal antibodies, I'd tell somebody, well, they're certainly better than sitting around for 10 days and getting a tube down your throat. Um, so after all, you've already paid for monoclonal antibodies. You can't say no now. The government's got the tax money from your children. Uh, so I wouldn't tell anybody don't use them. Um, but I'd try and get ivermectin first. It appears to be safer, has no questions about it. Um, and it's been studied in everything we want it studied in. Yes, sir. On, they're putting the patients on, um, I said that you have COVID, then they put them on remdesivir, they dehydrate them, they uh, then, uh, that, that causes kidney failure and pulmonary edema, and then they go on a ventilator, they give them vancomycin and dexamethasone, and then you have uh, pulmonary, uh, more, uh, then you have pneumonia, then they, uh, then the patient dies. 
hospital collects between $200,000 and $300,000 if it says COVID on the death certificate. I don't know what it is in Indiana, but that's what's happening in, in the hospitals in Louisville. Is that not headhunting? When you pay for dead people, is that not headhunting? Does that sound like a good idea to headhunt? Does that not give a hospital a reason to let a person die? Or to yeah. do less than the best they could do? God, that's horrible. But, What's your question, uh, sir? So, so, so my question is, <laughs> are, are you, are you ex experiencing that? Are you seeing that in your practice or with the people that you, in your hospitals? Because uh, I'm, I'm witnessing that in the Louisville hospitals. So uh, first of all, you need to know about my practice. By the way, I'm going to start this off with the disclaimer that you are not being given medical advice. Please take this all and talk with your regular physician. But you have to remember, everybody in my practice, as soon as you get in my practice, you get enough vitamin E to get your level up above 55. If I have to give you 10,000 international units a day, I'm going to get your level six weeks later above 55. Everybody has got a zinc taste test latency that's less than six seconds. So what that means is, if you take a 2% solution of zinc sulfate, uh, you can get a 5% solution on my website, Dirt Cheap. And if you dilute it three to two with distilled water, three parts distilled water to two parts of 5% solution, it becomes a 2% solution. And then if you take that 2% solution and take a teaspoon of it, throw it in your mouth and hold it, if your zinc level is good, within six seconds you will taste something that is either sweet or bitter metallic. And it doesn't matter what you taste, it matters how fast it comes on. All of my people have that, plus they're on 200 to 400 micrograms of selenium a day. And after they have achieved adequate levels of zinc, and I have them on a level of selenium intake that I'm happy with, then they get six and a quarter milligrams of iodine-iodine uh, combination. And they all have their iron levels tested with something called an iron index. An iron index is the uh, soluble transferrin receptor level divided by the ferritin level to the log base 10. For those of you interested in writing that down without getting medical advice, <laughs> That is your ferritin level taken to the log to the base 10 of your ferritin divided into your soluble transferrin receptor level in nanograms per liter. And that number is less than 1.5. And if it's on the borderline or if the soluble transferrin receptor is greater than 2.5, I get a transferrin saturation level done on my patients. And if that number is not greater than 35%, we do something about iron to get iron into you. So these are the way my patients come into me. And when they come in to me, if they get symptoms because they're in chronic inflammatory response syndrome, I have biotoxin um, accumulation that I can't get rid of or biotoxin exposure, I bomb them with 12 to 24 milligrams of ivermectin and two days later, we're done. Now I have a very different experience in my practice than what's happening in the United States because my people are all rigged, man, we're rigged for bear when you come in my practice. Viruses don't do much to you in my practice. Um, that's very different than when you have people who have been out 10 days. Um, guys like Peter McCulloch, Dr. Corey, uh, these guys, Dr. Halasa, Dr. Volodymyr Zelensky, Zelenko, these guys have a lot more experience than I do in the tortured human beings, all right? Um, I've had a few people who have come into me within days of coming down with COVID-19, and within days of COVID-19, I can give you 50,000 a day for vitamin D for three to five days, put you on 50 milligrams twice a day of zinc um, until your taste test comes up, throw you on 400 of selenium, um, and uh, you know, if your iron's not good, start throwing iron into you right away. Iron doesn't work very well when you're acutely ill. It's hard to get iron to go into humans, so I don't usually do a lot of iron then. But I've not had anybody who ever came anywhere near an intensive care unit or a hospital treated that way. Between that and steroids, and they all get ivermectin when they come down with that. 
Now, I only have probably about five to 10 people who have come into me that most of my patients who've gotten sick um, have gotten very mild COVID-19 because they had other problems but had everything else taken care of. A little ivermectin and we're done, all right? Um, so that's very different than the guy who's been told to go home and come back when you're, when you're blowing bubbles, all right? That uh, very different experience for those people. Um, you know, I, I, so I don't have any experience with remdesivir. I don't know much about remdesivir other than it was studied and people admitted to the hospital and the only benefit it showed was it made you out of the hospital five days earlier. It didn't make you die any less. Didn't get you off the vent any sooner. Just got you out of the hospital five days earlier. Uh, that was done before Delta variant came on, that study was. I know that it was, I have not read these studies, but I know it was used in Ebola virus and killed people. <laughs> That's what I've been told. Um, with as little benefit as we have demonstrated for remdesivir and knowing that the virus is at most 30% of the problem, everything I talk about doing does something for the immune system, kids. Um, iver ivermectin, by the way, isn't just something that interferes with virus function. Inside of that cell, it has effects on the inflammatory cascade as well. It works in non-COVID-19 viruses too. Not as well, it does its biggest thing in COVID-19, but it has effects on these things um, Otherwise, so the immune system's where the money's at. And just don't wait forever till you do it. Yes, sir. And what iodine? Native? Oh, nascent iodine. I don't know what the chemical definition of nascent iodine is. That's not a term in chemistry that I know of. Okay, so I think I know what you're asking me. So iodine, when you come out and get it, you can get iodine in two forms. You can get two atoms of iodine bound together, which is called iodine, molecular iodine. And then you can get iodide, which is an ionic bond between iodine and some of the other very highly positive things like sodium. Usually it's sodium iodide or potassium iodide. Um, it turns out your body needs both, all right? Um, I won't bore you with why it has to do so unless you want to come up later and then I'll bore you. Um, and it, it appears you need a 50-50 mixture of those things. You can't just take straight iodide, all right? That is not an effective thing and can actually injure you. And I'm going to make sure you hear what all of my patients hear. If you start putting iodine and iodide into a human being who does not have adequate zinc and selenium, it causes oxidative thyroiditis. So I am telling you now that none of my patients are ever given permission to take more than one milligram of iodine or iodide until I tell them you are ready for it, all right? So don't somebody go off here and go grab some 6.25 milligrams of ithroid and start pounding it down your throat. If your thyroid glands explode, all right, <laughs> you didn't take, that wasn't me told you to do that. So it does matter that it be iodine and iodide together, all right? Giving pure iodide appears to injure thyroids as well. I won't bore you with why it does that. Make, it makes your body use thyroid hormone wrong. Um, but you do need the mixture of the two. My patients are all advised to take six and a quarter milligrams of a 50-50 mixture of iodine iodide a day after I have told them that you have adequate selenium and adequate zinc. That's what I tell my patients. Yes, sir.
Um, somewhat familiar with a, a 1,6 beta glucan. Um, I believe it binds to the TOL4 receptor, um, which is going to be more effective in bacterial infections than viral infections. Although the TOL4 receptor is involved in viral COVID-19 disease. My experience with uh, those kind of things is they are less effective. Um, the uh, idea of being a decoy, what we call a, uh, an inflammation signaling decoy, uh, they don't work as well because uh, they're not really fixing the primary problem, they're jury-rigging around the problem. They might be more useful in somebody while you're waiting to get the iodine in or the iron's bad, things like that. Um, I, I have no reason to believe they're harmful. Um, how effective they are compared to the other things, I'm going to guess the stuff that if you take care of most of what I do, they add very little, but I could be wrong on that. And so don't take me as gospel on that. Uh, there's certainly no reason to think in any way that it's harmful. All right. Yes, ma'am. So, okay, good, good question. Uh, first of all, horse paste um, does not hurt you. It has nothing in it except some, it's just ivermectin with some stuff to make a horse take it because, you know, trying to put a pill down a horse's mouth can be bad for you. Um, the 250-pound mark of horse paste is 23 milligrams of ivermectin. The way I use ivermectin in my patients, if you have very mild disease, I start you off on 12 milligrams a day. And if you have had a 50% response in, uh, 12 to, in 24 to 36 hours, then you finish off five days of 12 milligrams a day. If you're a mild patient and I haven't had a response in, 12, in 24 to 36 hours, I double your dose and you do five days of 24. If you come in with you have moderate disease, you start off at 24 milligrams, and if you are not 50% better in 12, 24 to 36 hours, you go up to 48 milligrams, and you finish off five days of whatever made you effective on that dose. And I modify that some depending on how my patient looks as he's getting near the end of day five. I mean, if we've got a lot of benefit, you know, he got his 50% in the first 24 hours, but he's only got 10% more. Uh, usually these guys that come in with terrible biotoxin problems are really, really low on vitamin D and zinc. And um, I'll go longer than that as I need to. The 23 milligram is the 250 pound mark on a tube of horse paste. And no matter what the FDA says, it ain't going to kill you because I had patients who came to me after taking it and got well. And it worked in, 12, in 24 to 36 hours. You're probably very popular in your neighborhood right now. <laughs> Did it hurt the cat? No, yeah. <laughs> like I say, it's, you know, I really, this stuff that the FDA is doing telling people, oh, you're not a horse, you're not a pig. You know, if you're gonna get slaughtered, does it matter what species you are in the slaughterhouse? <laughs> Who cares? I mean, this idea of go home and be sick, don't try something that doesn't, just, that's, that's Nazi logic. That's just Nazi logic. Now, you can also get uh, COVID, uh, excuse me, ivermectin, you get COVID-19 compound. You can get uh, ivermectin compounded up at compounding pharmacies. There's at least three in the Indianapolis area who can make it up. Um, I'm told it's more expensive than horse paste, um, but um, it probably doesn't. You know, I, I got to tell all I can say is, guys, it works. There's nothing, it doesn't kill the horse, all right? <laughs> Um, and you're not going to take as much as the horse takes, all right? I, this is, um, you know, it'd be one thing if we had the pharmacy stock with dirt cheap pills and they'd give us to all of it. Why would you go take horse paste? I get that. But, you know, if, if before we could get because CVS and Kroger have now been about two weeks on that we're not filling stuff. In fact, there was a Kroger 
um, in uh, Shelbyville, Indiana, that sent all of its ivermectin back to the warehouse so that it could tell patients it didn't have it in stock anymore oh, and gosh. admitted to my patient they did it. Um, you know, if this wasn't going on, I'd rather you go get the stuff from uh, the, the pharmacy. But, you know, all I got to tell you is the compounded stuff's more expensive than what you could get at the pharmacy, and it's more expensive than what you get at Tractor Supply Corporation. And I am not going to look down my nose at anybody who says, Dr. Stock, I really want to get well, but I don't want to go bankrupt in the process, and this is my choice of what to do about this. Um, you know, maybe the guys at the FDA and Dr. Fauci will look down their nose at you, but I'm the servant, not the boss. Um, so I don't. Um, yes, Andy. Yes, uh, I was wondering if you might be familiar with or had any thoughts on the uh, the uh, COVID vaccine that they're doing trials on in India called Novavax that's not an mRNA. Um, yeah, it kind of dovetails in with what's going on in China. Guys, you have to remember, the, the first of all, in this disease, what's the problem? Is it the pathogen or is it the immune system? It's the immune system. So you can go diddle around with whatever vaccine you want. Uh, the kind of vaccines they're working on are going to be what we, I believe Novavax is what we call a, uh, a component vaccine or a killed virus vaccine. I can't remember one of the two. One way or the other, it doesn't infect cells, all right? So it doesn't actually give all the signaling that a cell has to do to make the immune system work right. This is a, by the way, this is a simplified diagram. It's more complicated than that up there. It's easy to bugger this thing up. So when somebody says, we got a new vaccine, we're going to come out from that, I'm going to say, well, remember, you used four different types for the SARS and MERS coronavirus, and you weren't able to do anything but induce antibody-dependent enhancement. Whether or not you can vaccinate against a pathogen is probably more dependent on the pathogen than the type of vaccine you use, all right? There are pathogens that are such big wusses, all right? Influenza is an example of this. 70% of people get infected with influenza have no symptoms, all right? Did you know they actually made a more effective influenza vaccine, the nasal spray vaccine? That was a live attenuated virus. It actually gave you better immunity than the shot you got, got you better protection. Do you know why it's not on the market anymore? Nobody would take it because if you had a good immune system, it didn't do anything for you. And if you had a bad immune system, it gave you some mild influenza symptoms. And people said, I don't want that. I'll take my shot. So the, the thing comes down to it's really hard for some pathogens to even see how a vaccine can make a difference. Flu shots themselves do very, very, very little. I mean, they're not even all that good at preventing symptoms. Um, and so you have to actually ask yourself, before you come up with all the different types of vaccines, is the pathogen amenable to it? I, you know, if anybody said, do, I, do we see antibody-dependent enhancement occurring with the Chinese vaccines? And the answer is, we don't see any, well, they're not keeping any data, all right? China just <laughs> says, well, why should you do science when you're making money? Um, and so and when you're coercing every small country in the world into loving you because you give them a vaccine. But their vaccines appear to do very little, so they're probably safer because they don't really do anything to the immune system. So uh, this is kind of the way I look at Novavax is, well, dude, you got a lot to show me. First of all, you need two to three years of animal trials before you're going to get that syringe anywhere near me. You're going to have to have some trials on some humans to show me you're not going to blow livers, kidneys, lungs, and all this other stuff up. And then after that, you can find some suckers to do two to three years of this vaccine, because I'm predicting that your vaccine, if it does have a strong immune system response, is probably going to do something bad because that's the nature of this pathogen. 
it's not an immune, it's, not a, it's a viral infection. It's not a viral disease. It's an immune system disease. And you can jack around with that minor variable all you want to. Remember, when you go to the only people that you're ever going to have a chance of a benefit in with a vaccine for COVID-19 is the 30% who have bad immune systems to begin with. Bad immune systems don't work like that, the way you want them to. They're very unpredictable. I can't tell you who's going to get MS in the population until he develops it, all right? So I get very nervous when he says, well, we got a new way to do this. It's like, okay, look, we already did four different types of vaccines for SARS and MERS and managed to kill a bunch of animals and got nothing else. You come out and say, well, I got my new type of vaccine. It's like, why should I believe that your new vaccine is any different than the ones that already killed all the rats? All right, why should I believe your new thing is going to do anything differently if it works well? Why should I believe it's going to do anything differently than what these mRNA and the vector vaccines are doing right now? And so my response on this is, I'm not entering any of those trials with Novavax. All right, no way I would enter them if I knew what was going on. I already have a very inexpensive, very effective therapies available to me that also reduce the risk of cancer, that also reduce the risk of influenza and the common cold. Zinc, by the way, and vitamin D have been shown to reduce those as well, if I didn't already mention it. So why would I want this? I just, you know, guys, when you understand all of the data, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, I won't criticize anybody who wants to join in those trials, but I'm not lining up for that trial. Um, I don't see a way to win. I, only, I see much more downside risk than I see possible benefit. Yeah, I just wondered, just because, it, just because it's not an mRNA, uh, personally, I'm not going to take anything because uh, I, I had COVID back in 2019, and I've never been sick since. And I just trust my God made my immune system and it, and remember, works, it works fine. It's not broke. So. And we have no, by the way, I forgot to mention this because we should answer the question. Hey, Doc, what about the combination of augmented natural immunity and vaccines together? What if we use both of them? That's actually been looked at as well. Um, and it appears like um, there is absolutely no benefit to a recovered person from getting a vaccine. Um, I can tell you that we have a study that was out of um, Xavier Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic that showed that people who were recovered and took a vaccine um, actually had no less risk of hospitalization, symptoms, or death than people who recovered and didn't take a vaccine. Um, there was a study done in Israel that suggested if you got one dose of vaccine, you had a little bit of benefit if you were recovered compared to recovered and no vaccine, but it was not statistically significant, and we have no idea how long it lasts. Remember, vaccine protection doesn't appear to last very long. Uh, there was a study done in Kentucky that was really badly done. Um, I, you know, just, it, just very low predictivity from that study. Came back and said there was a very small benefit in people who recovered who took a vaccine, but that study was entirely done before Delta variant, all right? So whether or not that holds for Delta variant, we don't know. What we do know is from the combination is if you take a vaccine after you recovered, you have double the risk of developing side effects compared to a naive person on the first shot and four times the risk of having side effects of a naive person on the second shot. And guys, in every other two-shot series we give, the first shot's the bad one and the second one actually does better. Um, if anybody says to me in the face of that data, knowing the immune system is going worse and worse, as you have this recovered person getting vaccines, if you ask me, do I think that probably predicts that there's a benefit to recovered people to taking vaccination? I'm on the, guys, I don't see it. The explanation that we've been given with this is, oh, that's your immune system really, really, really hard. I tell somebody, well, 70% of people get infected have no symptoms at all. So I don't think that's your immune system working really, really hard. I think that's your immune system working really, really wrong. Um, 
And so the combination doesn't make any sense to do in this doctor's mind. Yes, ma'am. PureHealthMed.com, and there's a separate page on there for COVID-19 information. As I get new stuff in, I post that up there, or I send it to my IT guy to post it up there, because I'm just that boring that I read a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, other questions? Yes, ma'am. So, you say that the false positives, how do you even know if you've had COVID with the false positives? So with a false positive test on the PCR test, you can confirm it with what are called serology tests, all right? And you can do a test and then back it up to see if the person develops what we call cellular immunity or antibodies after they have their symptoms and you do the test. So there's a way to actually determine, hey, is that PCR test giving false positives? Um, by the way, you've probably, have you ever heard of the cycle threshold or cycle count? Okay, so the way a PCR test works, we keep running the, the, we swab your nose, we get some genes, we run it through something that reproduces the genes, and we see how many times I've got to run it through there before I can detect genes coming out. Um, and uh, the cycle threshold, if you set it really high, gives it a really high false positive rate. The mark of a really good test is that the people who have the symptoms have very different numbers than the people who don't have the symptoms. It separates the two populations very well. So if you like, go out and you do a bunch of pregnancy tests in women, you'll find all the people who are gonna give birth have miscarriages and those kind of things. They have entirely different numbers than almost everybody who doesn't have that happen in the next nine months. Well, no matter where you set things on a PCR test, there's an enormous overlap of the population. So with a PCR test, you get to choose between a lot of false positives or a lot of false negatives. You never really get good separation between them. Why anybody ever thought that in an asymptomatic population, this would be a useful test to run out with, I have no idea. As a, I, I'm so boring that I think testing theory is interesting, all right? I, I, I've bored a freshly painted wall. Um, when you understand testing theory and how it works and you see that kind of population overlap with a test, you're like, why did, what made you ever think that was gonna be useful in, in technology. But the way you separate is with serology tests. The problem with these tests, when we make PCR tests, they don't test for every single gene that's in the virus. We just take certain segments of certain genes. So we don't know we've got an intact virus there, all right? We don't know that you're gonna have some pieces of another virus, which is a strain that's kind of like COVID-19, but doesn't have all the other genes, so it's really not COVID-19. And so the PCR tests are not terribly good at telling us hey, you really have an infectious strain, but the serology tests, which actually bind to a protein made by that, they're pretty specific. And we've started to get those out now. Those tests are much more reliable, but many of the hospitals don't want to use them because that means you don't get as much money. Mm -hmm. Your doctor can order them for you. Um, you know, I, to me, I don't really find these things as being very useful because when somebody comes in with symptoms, remember, the the thing it sounds most like is influenza, all right? Everything I just mentioned that you used to treat COVID-19, you can do for influenza. So why should I have, a lot of my patients are cash pay. Why am I gonna have them spend their money on this test? By the time it comes back, I mean, I, I already got stuff started. There's just not a lot of utility to the testing except for epidemiologic purposes. And here in the United States, we don't do that right anyway, uh, at least not by the CDC, so. I think the test is primarily usually for scaring the devil out of the population. That's it's most useful for. So where do we contact you if we need such a very good doctor? Well, thank you. You're very flattering, ma'am. Um, 
You can send an email to drstock at purehealthmed.com, but I have to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm taking like a new patient every two weeks right now because I have uh, so much education and speaking I'm doing, and I will not be a mediocre physician for a lot of people, so the people who are already in are getting, I'm not reducing their care. They have been very, very patient with me as it is. They are used to having the response back within 24 hours for everything they come to me with, and they have been so kind to be up to three days now while I'm trying to do lectures like this and sleep in between times. Um, so I have a very long waiting list, but I can put you on that waiting list. Um, I am prioritizing letting in the first-degree relatives of people already in the practice and former patients in the practice. Um, there's not enough of me to go around for everybody who wants me right now, and unfortunately, hopefully, we will have this battle won, and I can go back to just being the family doctor that I like being. Um, but right now, that's how you can get on my waiting list. And in the meantime, if uh, you need more immediate care, we have a nurse practitioner in the room tonight that's right here in Columbus, Holly Hancock. Raise your hand, Holly. Uh, Holly's oh, Holly! Holly! <laughs> I know you! I didn't recognize you at first. Yeah, so if uh, you don't want to be on a waiting list and uh, you, you're local and you want to see Holly, then uh, she's a very bright nurse practitioner that can help you out as well. And Holly and I have shared an office with her previous supervising physician who is himself an extremely intelligent, compassionate man, so I know she's worked underneath somebody who has his head and his heart in the right place as well and has demonstrated skills that I would have faith sending my family members to. And that, by the way, is the biggest compliment I can pay you as a provider. I saw a hand go up over here. Yes, ma'am. So, yes, they have isolated the virus. There have been certain governmental units that have been introducing laws without having, like in Canada, there's the big case of they were saying, oh, we're stopping spread, and there's a guy who took a lawsuit and said, well, show me you've isolated the virus and prove it's spreading, and all they said, well, all we have is these tests. So he won his case. Yes, the virus has been uh, isolated. Guys, it's real, because we see people getting sick. The virus is really real, all right? How are they getting these things generated? Well. According to these nasty conspiracy theorists who have lots of evidence to prove the conspiracy, uh, what they basically did was after they designed the virus, they said, here's the piece of, D of RNA, you need to make it in this sequence and that's how you, what you put in your vaccine. And so they just, you know, they're not, there's uh, I think 20 some odd genes in the in COVID-19 virus. Uh, they're only taking one gene and they've modified it a little bit to make it so that it's a little bit harder to change its conformation. Um, and they've actually changed it so that it lasts longer than regular mRNA. So if I just injected regular mRNA into your cells, it would make protein for maybe a day or two, and then it'd be gone. Uh, this stuff's two weeks, all right? So that's how they've done it. They've actually engineered, on, an, on the engineered virus, they engineered the particular gene a little bit further. And so the testing they're doing, we do have PCR testing that only tests for certain parts of the gene. So again, that's why the test is so horrible to believe in, all right? We do have serology tests as well, which do give us some more uh, useful information on whether you're infected or not. But that's how they came up with the vaccine. Um, the companies that were selected to get this information by Dr. Fauci uh, were AstraZeneca, Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson. Right behind you is another young lady with a question. Vitamin D3 is what I recommend people get. Vitamin D3 is the stuff that your skin will make when you're in the sunlight. Vitamin D2 is made by plants, but you should, and that's the stuff that's given by prescription. Vitamin D2, however, does not ever achieve as high a blood level, 
of 25-hydroxyvitamin D3 as vitamin D3 will. So I do not recommend anybody take vitamin D2 if they can get their hands on vitamin D3 because you cannot get your levels up as high, and that's been determined in a randomized blinded comparator trial. And it has to do with the metabolism of vitamin D2. Um, so the prescription stuff, when your doctor comes in and says, oh, my prescription stuff is so much better, it's really not because most of the prescription vitamin D going out is D2. Um, they do have a prescription vitamin D3. It costs an internal organ compared to going down to Sam's Club and buying getting 10 of the uh, 5,000 international units. By the way, I should mention, on long-term use of vitamin D, it is very important that I think you take a, at least 200 micrograms of broad-spectrum vitamin K. Uh, one of the things vitamin D also does is it control calcium absorption, so you'll, you know, you'll start to absorb a lot of calcium, and you need vitamin K to metabolize calcium correctly, and if you don't have it, you'll calcify tissue. So in the long term with vitamin D, which by the way, um, does anybody know when you can stop your vitamin D? You stop your vitamin D when the weight of dirt on the lid of your casket is so great you can't push it up anymore. <laughs> then you can stop it. Because, um, you know, I, I hate, guys, I gotta say this because I hate this. I've had patients come to me and said, Dr. Stock, I had vitamin D deficiency. I saw this other doctor. He put me on vitamin D. My levels went up. I felt so much better. He tested it. They were good. And then he told me I could stop it. I, I, I can't fathom. Why? Was this, did, just go back down again. Um, by the way, do, do you know how much sunlight you have to get uh, to make your vitamin D blood level get up to 40? Well, first of all, you have to live south of Atlanta, Georgia because the radiation's lower. You have to expose half of your skin to 30 minutes of noonday sunlight on bright sunny days every day between March and September if you're a lily white guy like me. If you're a darker pigmented person, you stop making it until about the middle of April and you stop making it again about the middle of August and that'll get your level to 40. How many, do we have 100% of bright sunny days and how many of us spend 50% of our skin being exposed to noonday sunlight? Um, other questions? Yes, sir. So the goal of the evildoer is obviously to get this garbage in it, all of us. And they're using corporate fascism to do it. Um, how do we stop this? We're all going to get fired or not, you know? Well, I don't get on airlines, all right? Yeah, I don't get on airlines. Um, I don't have any interaction with Google at all. I don't use Chrome browser. I don't use Gmail. Um, so I, I eschew those companies that do that. Uh, Meyer will let me go into their store without a mask and always did, all right? The grocery store told me you can't come in without a mask. I said, fine, I'll go to another grocery store. And I don't buy products from the people who are doing this, all right? American Airlines, I'm not going to fly on American Airlines, all right? You know, in the, at the end of the day, guys, you have to remember, the old way that we used to control human beings is we would cut them up with swords. Then we shot them with guns. Well, we're a little bit better as a species than that. Now we just bankrupt them, all right? <laughs> So money is the warfare right now. You have economic power. I really recommend that you use it. The other thing you can do is nonviolent civil disobedience. So for instance, I'm really hoping that our wonderful office here is gonna talk with all the people in this police union and come out and say, we're just not going to enforce some of these laws. So for instance, a lot of what's happening right now is the Indiana Department of Health goes to the school boards and it says, hey, we have ordered that you have to do contact tracing and uh, quarantining. If you don't do that, you've committed a, a misdemeanor. So I would really like everybody here to contact Attorney General Todd Rokita and say, we would like you to come out and issue a proclamation that you will not prose uh, prosecute a school board member for a misdemeanor if you don't do contact tracing and, uh, and uh, quarantining at your school. 
all right? So the only other thing, if you do that, that the Indiana Department of Health can do to your school board is they can come close the school. But if your police department was to come out and say, you know what, you can close the school, but we will not come out and arrest the teachers, we will not go out and blockade the doors, we will not make the students go home, we simply won't enforce your law, then the Indiana State Department of Health can sit at home and pick lint out of its navel. Um, and this is a, another viable way that you can do that, um, that we can do nonviolent civil disobedience. Um, I always encourage people, let's do this nonviolently. I like to think of Convention of States as Revolution 2.0, the one that we do without gunshots, all right? Um, I really hope that this can still be done, and I think it can still be done. But I think part of the problem is to make sure that all of your legislators know, and the most effective thing we can do is to make sure your legislators know that if you don't do what we're telling you to do, we're gonna primary in the spring and push you on the sidelines, all right? And we'll talk amongst ourselves and talk to our friends, and we're gonna let them know about some of the facts that you guys learned here tonight, Make sure they understand that this has been clearly ginned up. This cannot be explained biology, chemistry, anatomy, and physiology, all right? So the people understand that, guys, this is on the brink of Nazi Germany. And by doing that, your legislators, legislators will come to understand that, look, it doesn't matter how much lobby cash that Bill Gates can hand me, all right? I can't overcome this population, all right? If they're all going after my throat, they will get somebody in there. And ladies and gentlemen, I gotta tell you, you know, I, I heard somebody making fun of Jim, Representative Jim Lucas because he showed up at the rally in his jeans and a t-shirt. And ah, oh, guys, have, I forget what he does for a living, but he, uh, Jim Lucas uh, actually has never been to college and admitted he's never been to college. The guy was phenomenally intelligent. Oh, you know, he just, Bob, he doesn't have any government experience. He doesn't need governmental experience. He's a citizen. He has the credentials. Um, Besides that, can you do much worse than what we got right now? I mean, have you heard Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell talk? Oh, my God. Um, you know, guys, it, it, more than anything else, it takes insight and courage to be a representative in government. And it takes the ability to tell yourself that I'm not here to exercise my own judgment. I am here to understand the judgment of the people I represent and accurately assess that judgment and act on it. So primary these guys, all right? Go to Liberty Defense. Tell them, look, I'll do it. Tell them, you'll, I'll, if I'm not the guy who's doing it, if you've already got somebody, I'll work on his campaign, all right? I can tell you I'm going to be working on the campaign of Becky Cash when she runs against the person she's running against in Zionsville, all right? Um, so you know, do these things. This is the way we win this. Remember, and not only, guys, we're going to win it eventually. After all, Hitler didn't end up so well, right? And I want to encourage everybody, it is not incompassionate of you to talk to the people in your government this way. Remember, had somebody, had somebody actually rebuked Adolf Hitler earlier on, the man wouldn't have ended up shooting himself, all right? But because we ignored this and tried to get along to go along, we got Germany bombed back to the Stone Age, hundreds of thousands of people killed, and even Hitler ended up bad. Mussolini ended up with his head on a stake. All right? Uh, Ceausescu of Romania ended up with his head on a stake. This is not incompassionate to take the people who are losing touch with reality. And ladies and gentlemen, if you think President Biden is in touch with the reality of the southern border, then you think I'm going to be playing hockey for the Pittsburgh Penguins. All right? Um, do these people a favor and bust them. 
And I'll say the same thing for you about your doctor, because guys, understand, your doctor doesn't like the situation he's in. They have a few zealous idiots who've actually bought into the system that think that it's gung-ho and it should be the thing, but most of them are just scared to, to, act, to talk out, all right? In fact, I can tell you, I got over, we averaged 600 emails and voicemails a day for two and a half weeks after that, that video came out. I had two people who called in who, had, who were providers who had something negative to say, neither of which who would debate me, by the way. Um, I had over a thousand providers who called in and said the exact same thing. Dan, thank you for speaking out. We would speak out, but we're scared. Do them a favor. Go out to dinner with them. Go play hockey with them. Go to play golf with them. Go see some other doctor. All right? Go find an independent physician. There's, if you go and Google direct care physicians, you can find physicians who actually don't work for insurance companies and governments. Go give them your money. For your doctor's sake, fire him. When this system is no longer good at getting the money out of your wallet, the hospital will dismiss him. And when they dismiss him, he's out of his contract and he can go do something else. All right? And frankly, there are groups who are actually helping doctors who leave hospitals move to new locations and set up direct care practices. And I can tell you as a guy who has a direct care practice and used to work for one of these accountable care organizations, this is so much better. Your doctor will be so much happier when he's out of that. Um, so this is the other thing you can do is, for your doctor's sake, fire him. All right? Understand, guys, every one of my patients who comes into my practice signs a contract with me. One of the codicils of that contract, by the way, says that I'm not allowed to make money on anything I give them advice about. All right? If you go to a hospital system, do you sign a, a, a uh, and to see that doctor, do you sign a contract with that doctor? No, your doctor has a contract with the hospital and the hospital has a contract with the insurance company and the government. Your doctor has a contract with the insurance company and the government. He has to sign it to work for the hospital. But he doesn't have a contract with you. He doesn't work for you, all right? Now that doesn't mean your doctor's a bad guy. Remember, he's got a financial gun to his head, all right? He probably didn't like this system either. There's a lot of whistleblowers because of this. Do him a favor and fire him, all right? That's the economic clout you have. Yes, ma'am. Um, children actually don't have weaker immune systems. They typically have better immune systems than adults. They just haven't had an immune system that's been as educated to all the different pathogens yet. All right, that's why they're still getting their, they're getting sickness and infection. But if you get their zinc, selenium, iron, iodine, vitamin D taken care of, they do great, all right, for most everything else. Those are, by the way, what an immune system needs to work on. The difference when a baby is born is that a baby tends to drive everything, well, first of all, when a baby's first born, this part doesn't do hardly anything. This part works. All right, but this part doesn't do hardly anything. The reason you can't turn this part on in a baby is because this stuff would start to react to the placenta. In fact, the reason women have an increased risk of autoimmune disease is their immune system is actually trying to make sure it doesn't attack that foreign protein in there for nine months. It's got a regulatory system that works differently in that. So if it's broken, it's easy to break it differently. After they're born, they tend to run this direction. They don't do much at all for two months, all right? They depend upon transfer factor and antibodies from breast milk uh, to get by. And then this thing starts to turn on about then when it's safe because you're not going to attack mommy. 
Um, this thing starts to turn on and it starts to make, uh, uh, at first it does more of the B cell production than it does cytotoxic T cell production, but then it matures and goes this way. Now, some of that research that says it goes this way is a little bit hard to interpret because most of it was done in babies who were born from mothers who were eating McDonald's and using formula. And formula actually does not teach the immune system the way breast milk does. Um, similarly, caesarean section does not teach the immune system the way vaginal delivery does. Uh, believe it or not, that the, the uh, baby is actually exposed to vaginal and fecal matter when it's born through the vagina. And if mom's been eating the right stuff and has the right flora, that begins the education of the immune system. Because your immune system has to learn that all that stuff in a good gut, that's okay for me to be there, all right? So some of the problem with the children's immune system is actually not a problem with the child's immune system. It's a problem to do with what mom was doing beforehand, how they were born, and how they got fed. For instance, we know that if you were gluten-free and you were breastfed for the first six months of your life, your risk of developing celiac disease is virtually zero. That's because you've taught the immune system, this ain't something I need to work, worry about. I work right. I do the right thing. I make the right kind of antibody at the right time. So that's kind of the differences between kids' immune systems and adults. A lot of the difference is really, what were they taught when they were infants? How did that immune system get trained? Because you train an immune system. It's got memory, by the way. Immune system cells, when they know, hey, I started off in the lung, those T helper cells will go and spend most of, their, most of their life. When they get made by the bone marrow of the thymus gland, they go to the lung. Some, some, we don't know how they're doing it all the time, but they're being told, okay, you go live in the lung. That's where it's going to come in next time, and they hide out there. It's so cool. Any other questions? Sorry, guys, I get off topic because it's cool. Yeah, there's probably not enough of any of the stuff in those swabs to injure a human being. Now, you know, we, it, it depends. If you, if you're going to do some idiocy like contact test these people and stick a swab up their nose every week. Um, maybe, but I kind of doubt it even then because uh, the reality is there's not a lot getting into you and it's going to be detoxified. Ethylene oxide doesn't last a long time in your body. It's pretty reactive. And so I doubt that there's much harm being done by the stuff from the nasal swab. Most of the problem that comes from the nasal swab is it makes you miss a lot of school and work for no dang on good reason. Um, which is why contact testing should be absolutely stopped because you can't avoid the virus in the first place, so why bother? Excuse me. Anybody else? Well, I'm sure there's been cases of this. I mean... Um, you have to remember, when somebody's got a COVID-19 infection, their nasal mucosa is pretty beat up to begin with, all right, because it's growing in nasal tissue as well, not just lung tissue. I just use lung because it's easy to say the nasal is. But, yeah, I mean, you can cause an injury while you're doing this. I would assume that we're going to have the person doing the swab isn't going to go all ninja on you. Um, but, I mean, I, those, are, those are minimal risks. Honestly, you're going to heal up from that. Uh, the, the major risk of contact testing is just that it's a total waste of money. Um, and it makes people miss economic and social activities that they should not miss. Because we're not going to stop the spread of this virus, guys. It's not going away. Nobody thinks it's going away. Even Fauci says it won't go away. Why we're going to bother to slow down the spread of something that can't be avoided anyway, unless you're trying to get people really scared to sell a vaccine, I can't think of. Why we, do, we don't do it for influenza. Don't do it for the common cold. Don't do it for respiratory syncytial virus. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Oh, ma'am. Excuse me. Sorry. It's just a slip. You're not ugly, I promise. Now, what if you have an autoimmune disease and then you took the Pfizer, you know, 
Wow. Um, depends on what's making the immune system go bad to begin with. I can guarantee you zinc, slime, iron, iodine, and vitamin D are going to be part of that. Um, but it depends a lot on what else is going on. If you're menopausal, do you have biotoxin exposure? Um, are you in chronic inflammatory response syndrome? Are you biotoxin sensitive with biotoxin exposure? Are you biotoxin sensitive without exposure? This gets very complicated. But you bring up a very good point. If anybody said to me, gee, Dan, what studies do you have showing the ability to reverse um, the immune system dysfunction that leads to enhanceable uh, response to a pathogen? The answer is, I don't know. We've never tried to save a, a population of human beings from ADE before. Uh, this experiment was turned loose on the human population without any idea of what to do if it developed. Um, I think I got some ideas on what to do. I got two people in my practice I'm trying to figure out right now. One of them, who, um, within weeks after his vaccine, went from playing tennis to barely being able to walk across his living room and still trying to get, he's the one that they won't give ivermectin to anymore, um, that I'm trying to get put back together again. But it, um, I, the answer is I got some ideas, but if you, are, if you ask me, Dan, are you 95% sure you can reverse the immune system dysfunction that leads to antibody-dependent enhancement? The answer is immune systems learn, and they're really hard to teach them. You know, we think we can get you out of celiac disease if your immune system learns to work wrong against gluten. If I can keep you 100% gluten-free for three years and fix all the problems and get things reversed, we think you can go back and have small amounts of gluten and pull it off. How am I going to keep you three years away from COVID-19 virus? This is the thing about these vaccines that scare me, guys. If this thing is doing what we think it's doing, we don't know that we can reverse ADE. For all we know, we have a group of people who are vaccinated whose immune systems are not going to fight this virus right the rest of their life. Mostly what we think the solution is, is we're going to do everything in the world that makes this part so daggone good that it gets the virus killed off before we get down to this part. Because this is the part that goes wrong and hurts you. And this is zinc, selenium, iron, iodine, vitamin D, getting rid of biotoxins, uh, maybe treating menopause. We don't know so much about that, although it looks like it has an effect in that as well. These are the things that probably get us out of that. Um, this is the thing that terrifies me, is this experiment has been started in a human population without any end game. And I have things I think I can do. The bigger question is, can I do them in time? You, know, you have to understand, if I walked up right now and shot myself in the chest with a 357 Magnum, I know exactly what pieces of tissue have to be moved here to save the guy's life. I just can't do it before he's dead. All right? And can I get this done before you get killed? More importantly, can we get this done with a doctors that have for 15 years been taught not to think, just to follow protocols, and don't know anything about the stuff that we know in functional medicine. I know doctors who don't even know how vitamin D, what it is. We've got doctors who still think you get it from food. Um, are we going to be able to train these guys fast enough to overcome what I worry is going to happen this winter? And the answer is, guys, I'm scared. There's a reason I'm talking, because I feel very uncomfortable what happens this winter. I pray to God I'm wrong. Um, but, Peter McCulloch tells me he's praying I'm wrong. Uh, Ryan Cole told me he's praying I'm wrong. Uh, there's Simone Gold tells me she's praying I'm wrong. They all think they're scared of the same thing I'm afraid of. Um, other questions? Guys, you have been very, very flattering to have me in here and let me speak this long today. I thank you for your attention and your time.